because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And he is to do there with them right in the middle of their uncleanness. No one is to be present in the tent of meeting from the time he enters the holy place to make atonement until the time he comes out, having made atonement for himself, for his household, and for the entire community of Israel. Then he will go out to the altar that is before Adonai and make atonement for it. He is to take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns of the altar. He is to sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times, thus purifying it and setting it apart from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. When he has finished atoning for the holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar, he is to present the live goat. Aaron is to lay both hands on its head of the live goat and confess all the transgressions, crimes, and sins of the people of Israel. He is to put them on the head of the goat and then send it away into the desert with a man appointed for that purpose. The goat will bear all of their transgressions away to some isolated place, and he is to let the goat go in the desert. Aaron is to go back into the tent of meeting, where he is to remove the linen garments he put on when he entered the holy place, and he is to leave them there. Then he is to bathe his body in water in a holy place, put on his other clothes, and come out and offer his burnt offerings and the burnt offerings of the people, thus making atonement for himself and for the people. He is to make the fat for the sin offering go up in smoke on the altar. The man who let go the goat for Alazir is to wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. Afterwards, he may return to camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought to make atonement in the holy place, is to be carried outside the camp. There they are to burn it up completely, their hides, meat, and dung. The person burning them is to wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. Afterwards, he may return to the camp. Shabbat shalom. Those of you who are new... What this cloth states is Kadosh, 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 Holy, 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 which of course comes from the book of Isaiah chapter 6, as Isaiah was having the vision, and the angels were crying, Kadosh, 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 Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. It's a very special season for us. Um because of, of the whole notion of repentance and atonement, which perhaps, not perhaps, those truths should be part of our reality because they certainly are a major part of the re reality of the Word of God. <clears throat> the Lord spends a great deal of time talking about issues of sin and cleansing and redemption. And, um, but once a year, for us at Yeshua Tzion, 
these truths take a special emphasis, take a front seat. So because of that, they've been on my mind and heart a lot um, in the past few days. And uh, I mentioned on Rosh Hashanah, the custom of tashlich, which means emptying your pocket of everything in it into a body of water as a symbol of your sin being cast into the sea. And we, we live in a very uh, traditional Jewish community. And uh, as I was coming to our Rosh Hashanah service, I saw a number of people doing just that. Um, and besides that, this is the time of year that um, is my father's yurtzeit, which is Yiddish for anniversary of someone's passing. <clears throat> From time to time, I've mentioned about the fact that although my father was in lots of ways a great man of God, very gifted and anointed in ministry, um, yet he and I had relationship issues. And, um, and so as he passed, I had all this um, multitude of mixture of emotions. And, uh, and yet, I am firmly convinced, folks, that, that the Word of God teaches and desires us to receive God's cleansing, God's redemption, particularly in areas where there are relationship tangles between us and other people. The Word of God teaches that the Lord is the God of reconciliation. Can you say amen to that? And so because of that, He has given us the ministry of reconciliation, which means that even though when there are times when we would just as soon not be reconciled and we look at God and we look at the person we are um, out of sorts with and say, I know it's the Bible states that I'm supposed to be reconciled, but right now uh, my anger feels good and I have no interest in being reconciled. Thank you. And... Over the years, I've learned that God is a patient and a merciful and a persistent teacher. If we don't get it the first time, he will come around the second time. And sometimes the third or fourth, fifth, in my case, a number of completion, which is seven. Until I, until I finally get it. And so I've been thinking a lot about that. And um, it's interesting that... A week ago, uh, a man called me who had taped my father for an interview that was designed to be given to the Library of Congress. And my father was interviewed by a couple of people. One was a fellow who was a believer, a Gentile believer. One was a Jewish fellow, not a believer. And it was going great until my father had the chutzpah to say that he was strongly committed to following Yeshua, Jesus, as the Messiah of Israel. That was it. The 
interview ended, but it never made it to the Library of Congress. And, and that was one of those things that I heard and God did something in me and I, because I had been praying, Lord, I want the positive memories to supersede all the negative stuff. I spent a lot of time um, grinding and obsessing about the negative stuff. And I imagine I'm not the only person here who has done that. You know, sort of grind things over and over and over and over again uh, in the foolish notion, the foolish expectation that the more we grind, somehow we would come to a resolution and things would come together. I stand before you to say, it ain't going to happen. Incorrect English, I know, but um, it's all God, folks. God seeks to bring about restoration, reconciliation in our life, healing, redemption. Uh, that same, uh, a couple of days later, when I came to visit my father's uh, grave, and by the way, what is traditional, uh, what is done traditionally uh, in Jewish custom is to take a stone and put the stone on the grave site as, as a way of simply marking the fact that you are there. And by the way, you find a lot in Scripture uh, where God instructs the people of Israel to do things that are visible markers, mile markers. Anyways, I did that. I wanted to have a little time because my mom, my mom's grave and my father's grave are very close. And um, and a couple of... And by the way, Stephanie... Lang um, is also buried in that same general row and, and the girls came and did a marvelous job of decorating it. But in any event, there was a gal, a couple, couple of grave sites over um, who was planting a, a chrysanthemum. It was beautiful and she was watering it. She was obsessing over it. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to be left alone. I just wanted to be left alone to, to pray and, and to natter at my father's grave and so on and so forth. And uh, it didn't look like that was happening because this gal saw me and she went into her car and she waited a couple of minutes. Then she got out, started to slam all the doors and uh, come around and slam some more doors. And I'm a little slow, but I got the message. Uh, this poor gal was desperately in need of having time to mourn and grieve. She, I saw her later. She was picking bits of blades of grass from around the, the grave. And um, although on one hand I was frustrated, on the other hand, the Lord gave me compassion for her. And then I, I later pause. Um, and, and reflected on the fact that that is who our God is. Merciful, full of compassion. That is what he desires to present himself to his creation. And you know, especially from the Torah, we get the notion 
of this angry God. You mess with him and he fries you and he nukes you. Completely oblivious to the fact that there's so much about God's mercy in the Torah, God's compassion. That when he presents himself to Moses, you remember the story when Moses says, Lord, show me your glory, and God says, no, I'll show you my goodness. He tucks him behind a rock, zips by, proclaiming the name, and he doesn't begin by saying, you don't mess with me. You mess with me and I nuke you. He starts off by saying, merciful, compassionate, full of chesed, loyal love and truth, forgiving sin. This is who our God is. And yes, at the end of all that soft, touchy-feely kind of presentation, God says, and if you persist in being rebellious, then yes, I have to punish you. So this is the message we find in the Torah and the prophets. So what we see here in the passage that Paula read to us just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And yes, if you've read Leviticus, I, I, I know for many believers, this is the uh, favorite book uh, to take curl up with before you go to bed so that you do go to bed. Uh, Jewish children, by the way, were taught Leviticus as book number one. Did you know that? Because it teaches us lots of things about God. Anyways, begins with a rough start. This, the instructions that are given are given right after the death of the two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. Very, very difficult story. You may know the fact that these two guys came before the Lord, which means probably in the Holy of Holies. Scripture doesn't say much. You know, it's one of those situations where the Word of God gives us these brief brushstrokes. They appeared, we're told, with strange fire. Some translations have an unauthorized fire. And from the rest of the text, this is in Leviticus 10, which we'll not turn to. Apparently, they came definitely presumptuous. Yo, God, what's happening? Possibly drunk. Because in the instructions later on in chapter 10, uh, the Lord says, do not drink wine before you come into the Holy of Holies. You need to have your judgment properly focused. And here, the beginning of these instructions in, in verse 2 tell us, the Lord says to Moses, tell you, brother Aaron, he shall not enter at any time into the holy place before the mercy seat or the lid, atonement lid, or he will die. For I will appear in a cloud over the mercy seat. And by the way, uh, the rabbis tell us that during the second temple era, in other words, if the uh, time of Yeshua, first century CE or earlier, 
The priests made it a habit of sashaying in doing their business, which we'll talk about in a minute, and then skedaddling out of there as quickly as possible because they didn't want to get fried. And later that day, after the conclusion of the Yom Kippur fast, they had a big party with their friends to celebrate the fact, I'm still alive. I didn't get fried when I was ministering before God in His presence. So part of what we need to come to terms with, whatever is going on here, a major reason for it is that, again, a Jewish answer. On one hand, God wants people to be connected to Him, to come before His presence. On the other hand, He has some very specific, very definite guidelines of how He wants that to happen. And this is, by the way, something you, you can tell your friends who say, I'm a good person, I do what uh, I'm supposed to do, you know, the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten, and um, God is a loving God, He will bring me into His house. Well, yes and no. Yes, He wants me to come into your house, to His house, but He has definite direction, just like you and I, if someone comes into our house, they don't sashay in any old way that, that, that they like, there are some basic guidelines, and th- these are the basic guidelines. You come into my presence, here's what I expect you to do. So a huge, a, a number one purpose for everything that takes place on Yom Kippur as it was during the days of the temple was the fact that the priest, the high priest Aaron, should be able to come into the Holy of Holies without fearing that he's going to die. Because in Exodus 33, 20, we're told that man cannot see God's face and live. In other words, even though God presents himself and reveals himself to mankind, none of us have the capability of being exposed to God's glory full bore. You know, it would be someone like, like a person staring into the mushroom cloud unprotected. And then have our circuits fried. Very limited, exa- very limited analogy, but that's something like what the Lord is saying. You cannot see me in all my glory and live. It would be too much for you. So here's what I want you to do. Here are the prescribed times and here are the prescribed way that you can do that. Now again, what is taking place for our perspective is bizarre, folks. I mean, it's scripture, but it is bizarre. Let's call it for what it is. Uh, And I just want to take a couple of minutes and and go through the scenario uh, briefly. The Yom Kippur, what the the scholars call it, the Yom Kippur ritual, and just go briefly with you and then pull back and say, okay, here is the visible action. Now, what is really going on here, the invisible action? Let's, let's tease it apart and see really what's going on. Well, first of all, of course, Aaron had to prepare himself. And, and that's a huge lesson for us, by the way, when we come into the presence of God. We want to be cognizant, uh, cognizant of, the, of our need 
for cleansing. But Aaron had to bring a, a bull for himself and his family. He had to, first of all, he had to wash himself. He had to put on clean clothes, not the full uh, gold uh, regalia, but just the, a linen, a, a symbol of the fact that he too was in need of atonement and cleansing. So he would, he would bring, he would wash himself, put on new clothes, um, then go to the, and, and if you can imagine, um, one day when we'll be fully in the twor- 21st century, I'll, I'll have all that in PowerPoint, but just use your <laughs> sanctified imagination here. Um, the tabernacle was basically a rectangle, and on the end of it, this end was where the Holy of Holy was. And then right next to it was the holy place. And there was a, a veil, a thick veil b- separating the two. And then between, right next to the holy place was the court where you had the laver where you washed yourself and, and you had the bronze altar where the burnt offerings were, were given. The priest would come to the altar burn offering, would, would take uh, in a censer, in a little container, he would take some coals, then come into the holy place, and in, in a little container there, he would find uh, a pinch of, of uh, incense, he would put it on the, on the coals, and then he would go behind the curtain into the presence of God, and then there would be this cloud of incense, cloud uh, smoke of incense, whereby he can do his business. And live. Then he would slaughter the the bull, and he would take the blood and, and come to the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood on the uh, on the mercy seat, by the way, the mercy seat or the atonement lid was where you had a couple of angels facing each other, and that's where the presence of God hovered physically, and he would sprinkle blood. And in so doing, he would be taken care of. Then he would take the, a goat um, for a purification offering. He would kill the goat, he would take the blood, and he would put the blood on the horns of the altar, the brass altar outside, and then he would basically put blood all over the, the tabernacle. And then the next phase was they would take the scapegoat, Azazel. By the way, scape comes from Old English, which just meant escape. And somehow between now and then, they chopped off the E, so we have scapegoat. You really needed to know that, right? <laughs> All right. They would, uh, he would lay hands on the goat and transfer symbolically the sins of the nation onto the goat, chase it off to the desert, and, um, and the goat would die. Symbolic of the sins of the people being being done away with. And by the way, in the first century, Yeshua's time, there were people who were delegated to see to it that if the little goatee decided that he really didn't want to go off a cliff, that they would give him a little extra nudge. 
and um, there was a, a cord that was tied uh, to the window of the temple. And the rabbis say that every year on Yom Kippur, when, when the goat died, this cord changed colors from red to white in fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 118. If your sins be as scarlet, they will become as white as snow. And at the same time, the rabbis say that 40 years before the destruction of the temple, that stopped. It no longer happened. Um, the cord, the red cord remained red. The rabbis speculated about that, and they came up with an explanation that that happened because of baseless or wanton hatred, hatred without cause. Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? What was 40 years before the destruction of the temple in the year 70? It was roughly the year 30. What happened in the year 30? Connect the dots here. So this is roughly what took place um, during this special day of Yom Kippur. And, and there was also the, uh, con- the burnt offering was consumed. But roughly three things. First of all, the high priest had to prepare himself. Then he went about um, symbolically putting blood everywhere. And then he symbolically put the sins of the nation on the scapegoat and chased it off. Those three things. Now, what was that all about? As you can imagine where Scripture doesn't give us a ton of explanation why everybody rushes in. You know, that's where people get their Ph.D. uh, dissertations and write books and, you know, get on radio and TV and so on and so forth. I want to talk for a couple of minutes about traditional Judaism. It's very intriguing to me that the rabbis consider this everything that took place on Yom Kippur to be an expression, a call to Israel to reflect on the direction of their life, to confront mortality and be engaged in cleansing, self-scrutiny and self-renewal. Did you see any of that in this text? I think not. Only thing that scripture says that Israel, the nation itself, was to do was to afflict its souls, uh, which is typically understood to be fasting, pray, fasting and praying. It says nothing at all about self-scrutiny and self-renewal. In fact, the Torah again and again speaks about renewal, not as something comes from the self, but as something comes from God. Later in chapter 17, the life of the flesh, 1711, the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your soul. Self-renewal? Uh-uh. Renewal comes from God. Reformed Judaism takes a different tack that is even less on target. And I wanted to give you this quote that just scandalized me when I read it. 
Nothing is said about inner contrition, self-discipline, or higher standards of conduct in chapter 16 here in Leviticus. For this reason, the leaders of Reformed Judaism replaced this chapter for the Shabbat with selections from Deuteronomy, which they deemed they deemed more appropriate. The sections from Deuteronomy talk about you should do this, you should do that, you should do the other. Isn't that something? And yet, when you stop and you look at all that took place on Yom Kippur, the ritual that took place, what really was it about? We, we look at the word Kippur, Kippur, to atone, which usually means to bring about cleansing of sin. And there is some of that going on, especially in the end of the chapter that Michael chanted for us. Um, verse 30, on, on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. What does that mean? Did that mean that on that day, the people came and the slate was clean for the entire year? Just from that day? The answer is absolutely not. If that was the case, then why have all the other sacrifices? The sin or purification offering, the guilt offering, so on and so forth. It isn't that just because you're an Israelite and you showed up on that day and you participate in it, that you are good for a whole year. So what was this all about? I want you to step back with me and see what Scripture tells us about what's really going on here. Look at verse 16 of this chapter. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because, because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of the meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Verse 33, Make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of the meeting, the altar, and for the priests and for all the people of the community. Now, what on earth is this talking about? I think if you back up for a minute, what you'll see is somehow this sense that God's house became polluted because of the sins of the people. And by the way, if, if you've seen schematics or you know how the tabernacle was laid out, uh, you had the tribes of Israel, and then right in the middle, you had the tabernacle. Very powerful, symbolic statement that God wants His presence to be in the middle of our life, centrally located in the middle of our life. Not to be out there somewhere, but to be very central to our life. So again, what does that mean? It means that somehow... It, you know, and use your sanctified imagination, thinking cap, whatever you want. 
somehow God's house became defiled because of the sins of the people of Israel. And God's house had to be cleansed once a year for the sins of the people. Why? So that he could continue to hang out and live with them. And they could have this ongoing interaction and relationship with with him. Now, this may be a, a totally different take on Yom Kippur here in Leviticus. But I want to point out a couple of other things that for me make the case. Notice back to to verse 2 of chapter 16. The, The Lord says to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he will not enter it, etc. or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. I said, can I have just a little bit extra? Thank you. What cloud is he talking about? It's a strange expression, isn't it? To talk about a bunch of smoke as a cloud. I mean, when you think of a cloud, you usually think about the, the fluffy clouds or the, the uh, cumulus nimbus and cyrus, etc., etc. Unusual kind of expression. Well, if you see... The Lord speaking later on here in this chapter that this cloud is clearly the, the cloud of the incense. Now, why talk about clouds here? What image comes to your mind when you think about God and clouds? Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, folks, when the Torah was given, God's presence came down in fire and loud shofar. And by the way, Linda, I I humbly apologize before God and everybody else. It's shofarot, not shofarim. Um, If you were here last night, you know what I'm talking about. If not, um, shofar was blowing, fire came forth. That was a sign of the presence of God. And, and the Lord wanted His presence, which had been on Mount Sinai, to move into this portable place called the tabernacle that would be with the people of Israel wherever He went. Wherever they went, He would go. And when you think about it, that, folks, is what this chapter is really all about is God desiring the people to come into His presence and saying to them, this is how, how I want this to look like. Because this, in one form or another, has been God's purpose going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Remember that in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, the voice of God was walking Along in the cool of the day, very strange expression, you know, think of voice, phonetics, walking, you know, today with with our computer graphics, we might be able to imagine it, but it basically meant that God's presence uh, would appear at this particular point in the garden at that particular time in the cool of the day. 
because of what happened in the garden that was broken. God has been wanting to restore it ever since. And it will be restored, folks. What you and I have today in terms of our reality with the presence of God is just a little smidge of what's going to happen. Can you say amen to that? Revelation chapter 22, at the very, 21, at the very end of the book. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine in it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its, the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. This is Revelation 21, 22. At this point in history, somehow, when all is said and done, all is finished, all is completed, there will be no, absolutely no distance between you and I and God. There will be nothing that would hinder. There will be no walls. Our sin will be totally incinerated and gone and we will be somehow capable of hanging out with God forever. Uh, I can't get my arms around that. Maybe you can. That's the goal. And in the tabernacle is we see part of God's plan to move in that direction. So folks, it's not about the blood being splashed and yes, there is kapara or atonement. It's a fact that the Lord says to Moses to tell Aaron, here's what I want you to do so that you don't die. Why? Because I will appear, I will present myself in this location, in this time, in this space. Do you get the emphasis here? Let me encourage you, if this is not reality for you, if you don't have some kind of special space and time where you know God is somehow going to appear in your life, let me challenge you to bang on God's door, knock on His door with holy chutzpah and say, Lord, would you please appear in my life? Somehow. You know, I may not be the brightest bulb in the world, But you're able. And would you please appear? Because that's clearly, as you say in your word, that's clearly your, your desire. Now the other clue that you may not pick on, unless you, you know a little Hebrew, is the fact that you may have noticed in this chapter, you see the expression, before God... Before God, before God, before God, before God, appears seven times. Beginning and end. And according to the scholars, when you see something presented, a beginning and end, it is a huge billboard saying to you, sit up and take notice. Because what you see here at the beginning, what you see at the end is what this section, what this paragraph, what this chapter is all about. By the way, in Hebrew, before God, the expression is lifnei Adonai. Literally, 
before the face of God, the presence of God. So all the things that were taking place here in this chapter with all the blood and the burning and, and the kicking of the scapegoat over the, the cliff and so on and so forth, that was done in the presence of God. Lifnei Adonai, over and over and over and over and over and over again. That's what this chapter is about, folks. It's not atonement necessarily. Not even cleansing per se. Yes, because the people corporately needed to be cleansed and God's house needed to be cleansed. But the focus here is God dwelling with his people and God presenting himself and God appearing to his people. And the people then in turn getting it and understanding that life, their life is about living in the presence of God. And yes, you and I are in some ways like the people of Israel. No, we don't go around killing a bull and, and killing a goat and splashing blood here, there, and everywhere. And, but we have our life. And we go about our business and we do things and we pursue things. We have goals and objectives and missions and, and et cetera, strategies and et cetera, et cetera. Not bad, but all these things are before us. They're sort of like the mechanical rabbit that we chase. And at some point, we'll wake up and smell the coffee and realize that what the only thing that's really worth chasing in this life is being in the presence of God. That's reality. Now it's reality going to be forever and ever. That's what you see here. Lifnei Adonai, Lifnei Adonai, Lifnei Adonai, Lifnei Adonai in the presence of God. So what do you do with all of this? Do you, do you just sit there and, and uh, passively say, okay, Lord, please come. I will be a blob until you appear. And the short version, of course, is yes and no. Scripture is full of examples of admonition for us to seek cleansing. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and pure heart. This is Psalm 24. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Come out of it, from it, and be pure, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. This is a special admonition to those who are serving God in a public capacity. The things that you carry, the service to God that you're doing is holy. Don't defile it with your junk. But even there, folks, even there, yes, seek to be clean. The emphasis is not on being clean. The emphasis is on the Lord. I would encourage you to take time to reread the responsive reading that we had today. 
I just want to make quote a couple of statements there. How do we get clean? We get clean, first of all, because we turn to the Lord and we know that He is able to cleanse our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. The Torah portion, the part of the Torah service we recite each Shabbat from Ezekiel 36. And I will sprinkle clean water upon you and I will give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. Last night we looked at David in Psalm 51. Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. The word in Hebrew, therefore, create is bara, that literally means create out of nothing, just like God created the world. Yes, we want cleansing. Yes, we want redemption. Yes, we want renewal. Yes, we want all these good things. Yes, we want to be clean because we know the Lord is holy. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. However, folks, all of that comes from the Lord and points us towards the Lord. That is why I find the expression self-examination, self Reformation so absolutely nauseating because where does it put the emphasis on us we're not worthy of having the emphasis put on us we seek the Lord on Yom Kippur and yes we seek God in wanting to become cleaner and purer and yes, we understand the fact that God challenges us to be holy and pure. And He gives us the heart, the motivation, because we want to be with Him. He gives us the motivation to be pure. But all of the purification comes from Him. And as you know and understand that and get your arms around it, there's joy, folks. There's confidence. There's confidence in seeing atonement from that perspective. There's confidence in stepping back and seeing how God works in your life, how God brings about the cleansing and the scrubbing even of, of the most peskiest sins. You know, the bindweed that you pull, you pull, you pull, you pull and doesn't seem to go away, totally intractable. You see God at work. And yes, sometimes the, the sin is like a mountain and you can obsess about the mountain until you realize that God is bigger than the mountain. You say amen to that. Amen. You hang on. You wait upon God in patient faith. You look to Him to go deep with you. You welcome Him to go deep with you. Amen. You don't do this um, push me, pull you. Come close, God, go away. Come close, go away. Schizoid. You welcome the Lord single-heartedly, single-mindedly, not double-mindedly. And the Lord will do that. And yes, there are practical things that you need to do. You know, you've heard the saying, if, if a bird does its business on you, well, it's, 
it's the bird's business, but if you stand there and the bird does its business on you again, whose fault is it? You know, the Lord challenges us to move away from all the pooping birds in our culture. Move away from, from the pooping birds. Move away towards the Lord. Press hard towards the Lord. And ultimately, all the cleansing, all the atonement, all the redemption, all the restoration that needs to take place will come. And we depend on God by faith and we see Him do it all. Am I speaking Chinese to you or, or do, do you, have you been hearing? Let's pause for a minute and just pray. And wherever this finds you, wherever this finds you on, on, on the scale of things, whether you, you like your sin, you enjoy it, whether you struggle with it, you don't know what to do with it, you try to do the Lady Macbeth, whether you feel like this sin is too big even for God, let me challenge you just to stop and say, Lord, you're greater than all of these things. Would you please stand and join us as we worship the Lord? And just take a moment before our musicians come. Take a moment. Take a moment and just say to the Lord, Lord, you're greater than my sin. You're greater than my weakness. You're greater than the pooping birds out there. You're greater than the works of the evil one. And we depend on you for the cleansing and the holiness you have for us. Hallelujah. Lord God, we do on this Yom Kippur depend on you and trust you for the cleansing, the healing, the redemption, the transformation that you have for us individually and as a body, as a mishpacha. May you receive all the honor and the glory, Lord God, in this transformation, this renewal in us, in our hearts and minds, in the name of Yeshua. Amen.